I'm going to go to Genesis in chapter 32, and I'd like to go to this mysterious encounter. We talked a bit about it last week, this mysterious encounter that this man by the name of Jacob has with what we believe to be an appearance of God. In fact, most theologians agree we believe this to be an early appearance of Jesus, a Christophany in the book of Genesis. Can you believe it? And I'd like to start there and talk today about how you and I relate to our weaknesses, how you and I relate to our weaknesses. So I'm going to begin reading in Genesis chapter 32, starting in verse 22. Are you ready? You good? Feel good? Sitting next to somebody that you like? If you're not, raise your hand. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Don't do that. Don't do that. It says the same night. Jacob arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 children. We can just have a little praise break right there. Lord, I thank you. I have one wife and three children, not two and 11. <laughs> I, that, that is no thank you. And cross the ford of the Jabbok, and he took them and sent them across the stream and everything else he had, and Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket. Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, my name is Jacob, which of course means liar or manipulator, which if you know anything about Jacob's history, that's how he got things that he wanted in his life. He manipulated and he lied and he cheated, if you will. And he said, well, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, which, of course, is a portrait of a nature change. Israel meaning prince. How many know when you meet Jesus, your nature begins to change? Yeah. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob said to him, please tell me your name. And he said, well, why do you ask me what my name is? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, for I have seen the fa God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. And notice verse 31. The scripture wants us specifically to know that Jacob walks differently now. He has encountered God, and the result of his encounter is that he, 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 he apparently, physically, literally, visibly limps. The sun rose upon him as he passed Peniel, limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. Anytime we run into mysterious passages like this in the Bible, I think the key to interpretation and understanding is to always look for Jesus. And as we look for Jesus, things begin to fall into place and make sense in our own life. This book is completely and entirely ultimately about Jesus. Jesus is the point. Jesus is the answer. Jesus is king. Jesus is God. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So let that be something you just use as a tool in your life. When you go to the scripture, look for Jesus. And of course, here it becomes apparent that God, in the form of a man, which would be Jesus, has appeared to Jacob. And I believe this passage is very significant because I, I think it shows us, it's a portrait, a picture of what happens in our life when we encounter Jesus. We talked about this. It also speaks to the idea that we no longer 
have to wrestle. Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin so that you and I might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, and you receive the blessing of God, you receive a new nature, you receive a new walk, you receive a new life by simply receiving and believing in Jesus, not by earning or deserving or wrestling. And we talked about that. This passage speaks to the fact that when we encounter Jesus, we will receive a blessing, a new nature, and lastly, a new walk. Now, if you're here today and you say, Judah, I don't believe in Jesus, today is an incredible opportunity for you to look into what would be afforded to you and made available to you if, in fact, you did believe in Jesus and receive the forgiveness that only he offers. So wherever you are in the spiritual spectrum today, I believe this message can serve you well and hopefully encourage you and build you up. But I want to, again, draw your attention before we pray. I want to draw your attention to the fact that Jacob apparently does not limp before his encounter with God, but clearly does limp after his encounter with God. And I want to make a very important setup statement, and that is after experiencing Jesus, after receiving Jesus, it is apparent to me that we are to walk differently. We are to walk in this life differently. And I am led to believe that we are to walk with a limp. So I want to title this message, Let Me Limp. Let Me Limp. Will you pray with me? Jesus, thank you so much for your grace. Thank you so much for your sufficiency. Lord, we realize that right now in this moment, we have an opportunity to engage and, 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 and experience you or just go through the motions. Help us to engage now. Help us to activate our faith and experience you in a real, genuine, and authentic way. Thank you for our Seattle Seahawks. Protect them, keep them, watch over them, and, and help Tom Brady retire. In Jesus' name. And bless him in his next career. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen, amen. I'm not proud of what I'm about to tell you, but we are talking about weakness today. So let me begin. I lied this week. Thank you. That's, that's an interesting response. That's what's wrong with this church. No, I'm kidding. Um, and how we know lying is not a weakness. Lying is like, it's like, it's actually a sin. So it's, it's different than a limp. It's like your leg's broken. Okay. So, but but it speaks to my weakness. And, 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 and you might think this is arbitrary, but it's real life, okay? One of the things that I am working on is keeping my composure on the golf course, okay? And, and, and I, there, trust me, I have other more significant issues in my life, but this is one that I will share publicly because others, you would, would really be ashamed of me. So, <laughs> um, I'm trying to keep my cool on the golf course, right? So, Several weeks ago, a buddy of mine invited me to his golf club, and it was there that I threw my putter in a sand bunker. Now, I threw my putter in the sand bunker because I was very, very frustrated, and I have a selfish heart, and I'm dealing with anger, and that's just the reality of it. Now, when I threw my putter, my friend said, unfortunately, Judah, we frown upon that here at this golf club. That's not acceptable. Kind of confronted me, and I, I did humble myself, and I'm so sorry. So that same friend invites me out to the same golf club. I was like, okay, this time I'm going to be on my best behavior, right? Like I am, I'm, I am going to be a model citizen, right? I will show no emotion, no personality whatsoever. I'm shutting it down today, right? 
So we get to the 14th hole, and I've had enough of the no personality and the cool, calm, collected me, which doesn't even feel authentic. You know, that's how I justify my anger. And my buddy hits a drive straight down the middle of the fairway. It was a bomb, and I'm competing with him, and I feel the pressure, so I'm like, I gotta really hammer this drive. Like, I'm gonna crush this one, but of course I spray it into the trees. And on my follow through, instead of like throwing my club, I thought the next best thing would just to be to let my driver go on the follow through. That's like a thing that golfers do. There's like golfers here like, no, Jude, that's not a thing we do. That's the thing people with heart problems like yourself, rage, anger, selfishness. So I release the golf club. It tumbles back kind of, kind of almost towards the people we're playing with. And I mean like, oh, sorry, guys. And then this is where, this is where the, 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 the lack of truth begin to unfold. My, my friend who invited me to the club, I think was trying to cover for me. So he says, wow, did that club just slip out of your hands? And I had a moment like, I could, like, I could, I could, I could say, no, actually, I'm just, I have a problem with anger and I have a weakness and I almost hurt you guys because I released my club in total frustration because if I lose to my friend again, um, I, I, I can't face my wife. So, so I didn't want to say that. So instead I said, yeah, and I looked at my glove. I even, I, I doubled down on the lie. I was like, yeah, man, it is really humid out here. My glove is just really sweaty. And I'm humid, you know? So we're walking down the fairway and my other buddy's like, really, bro? Really, that slipped out of your hand? I was like, just, I might have said, like, shut up to him, but we're in church, so we don't do that. Um, so I said, so I said, be quiet. And, and um, I still haven't told my friend that I lied, the other one. But isn't it funny when it comes to our weaknesses, when it, and of course, in this case, uh, lying isn't a weakness, it's actually a sin, but... Um, <laughs> but I think a weakness is a propensity to sin. Um, and isn't it funny when it comes to, you know, did that club slip out of your hand? I should have said, no, it slipped out of my heart, which obviously has rage and anger and selfishness in it. Like, but I would rather lie. I would rather cover up my air, cover up my weakness in this area than own it. I mean, how, how simple would it be for me as a grown man, a man who teaches scripture? How would it, is it not just easy for me to go, no, I, I'm sorry, guys, I'm a little frustrated. But instead, instead, this week, this very week, I would rather tell a lie. And, it, you know, your mind says, just, it's just a little lie. But a lie is a lie. But looking into my own life, that's a very normal relationship I often have with my weaknesses. I would rather you not see them. I would rather make up a story to lead you to believe that, that it's humid outside and my golf glove is sweaty and that's how the club came flying at you, potentially harming you. That's how that happened. I would rather have that relationship. And, and of course, I don't mean to project my shortcomings on you, but oftentimes that's how a lot of us relate to our weaknesses. We would rather cover them. We would rather pretend they're not there. We would rather not admit that we have a propensity in this area or we, we struggle with the temptation in this other 
area. I'd rather show up on Sunday, and when somebody asks me how I'm doing, I'd rather answer, oh, I am so blessed. Praise God. Hallelujah, man. Best week of my life. How's your marriage? Oh, my gosh. Never been better. How's your kids? Perfect. Which is never true about our kids, but we would just rather do that. I, I don't mean to, 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 to generalize, but, but, but globally, Christians are not known for handling weakness really well. I don't know if you know this. Like, we're not known around the world like Christians, very kind with people who are weak. Christians, very honest about their shortcomings. Christians, very open, honest, welcoming, inviting. Everyone belongs at church. Now, we know that narrative's not out there because when's the last time you invited someone to church? And what was their response? Me? Me? I can't come to church. Why? Oh, man, I don't belong in church. What do you mean you don't belong in church? Oh, no, man. You, I mean, I was in Vegas last weekend. We you talking about? I can't go to church. But if you'll give me a little lead time, I'll put together a few really good, solid, moral weeks, and then I'll roll up in there for sure. But I can't go this week, and I got plans, you know, to go away for the weekend again. And, you know, if I go in your church, place will burn down, you know, the way I live. So even, even the general public are telling us about us, that when it comes to Christians, we don't really know how to relate to our weaknesses the way that God has set us free to relate to our Weaknesses. It's called your Sunday best for a reason. Sunday best is not just your clothes. Sunday best is your presentation. Sunday best is how we, amen, praise God, hallelujah, God's good. Shut up. Oh, good to see you too. God bless. Okay, yeah, let's get together praying for you, right? And we do this whole Thing. And I'm not saying everybody who says praise God, hallelujah, amen is putting on a charade. That's not my intention. I'm simply making a point, and that is, as Christians, often we don't do well with our weaknesses and other people's weaknesses. We, 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 we have replaced the idea of progress and journey with perfection. And we are trying to portray to one another that we are Perfect. And that's why I've titled this message today, Let Me Limp. And I wonder if we could endeavor together to be the kind of community where we actually let people limp. They don't have to pretend like they don't. Because we all have a limp. And, 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 and our story today is so interesting because Jacob didn't have a limp before his encounter with Jesus. But he has a limp after his encounter with Jesus. Now, I thought growing up that if you accept Jesus and encounter Jesus, he will take all your limps away. Now, the Bible says he takes all our sins away. But our weaknesses, our, 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 our temptations, our our. our, our our challenges, our difficulties. Think about it. Jacob goes from no limp after his wrestling match with Jesus. How many know it was not a real wrestling match? Jesus was not like, wow, you're really strong, Jacob. No, it, it was like when I was a baby wrestling with my dad, right? And I, we know this because God touches his hip and, and it's like, 
okay, so who has the power here? God. But God gives him a limp, which leads me to believe that before Jesus, we played the cover-up game. But after Jesus, we're supposed to say, oh, 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 yeah. I am just as broken as anybody else. I am just like you, but Jesus saved me and forgave me, and he still sustains me. No, I didn't need Jesus one time at an altar call. I need him today more than I have ever needed him before. I need you to let me limp, and you need me to let you limp. You ever, you, ever, you, ever, you ever gone to a small group? I, I love the pastor once I heard say, he says, I love small groups, they help the church, I just don't wanna be in one. That's my favorite line. But you ever been to a small group and it turns into kind of a moment where people are like sharing what's going on in their life? And it, it's, like, it's literally like an old fashioned Western standoff. It almost always is. Because everyone's wondering, are we really going to talk about our limp? Or are we going to talk about the one that's not really a limp anymore that the Lord saved us from? Well, you know, in 1982, I really struggled in this area. This is what Christians are comfortable with. No one can say last week. No one can say last night. But boy, you drop 1982, everyone goes, oh, this is good. It's a powerful testimony. 1982, I was hooked on dot, dot, dot. Wow. Tell us more, it was bad. Every night I was on it. Whoa! But fast forward, make that real time. Last night I was, I was doing drugs, I was, oh, oh, uh, and watch a bunch of Christians scramble. Oh, <clears throat> last, oh my gosh, last, last night? Does your wife know? Not at all. Oh my gosh. I have to go. You know, like we, we don't know what to do with that. So we do, we do small groups. You should, you should try one. They're really fun. If nothing else, you're going to have great stories. And I've seen this happen so many times. I've been to so many small groups more than you've been to Starbucks. I mean, I, you know, this is, it's, I'm a pastor's kid, seventh generation. This is what I do, right? So, so many small groups. Mark and I had a small group. It didn't grow. I took off and it started to grow. You know, it, it's true, I got so many stories. So, you know, and, and, and guys are classic, right? And, and, and no disrespect, guys, but we have the, the most tough time, like, talking about our limp. Ladies are just amazing humans. And by the way, who knows where Christianity be without ladies, by the way, who are just a lot more like Jesus. So, sitting around talking to guys. You know, one guy will go and be like, yeah, man, I just, you know, I've just been going through some stuff. If you guys could pray. And I love guys, because no one asks a follow-up question. No one does, like what, bro? Like, no, it's like, oh, all right, man, cool, word, word, all right, all right, all right. <laughs> my favorite, though, my favorite, this is always the game changer, is the guy who doesn't know Christian culture yet, so he doesn't know, like, he's just heard that Jesus loves, forgives, and he's like, yeah, man, I look at porn all the time. And all the other guys are like, whoa, my God, like, Bro, you haven't, you haven't got the memo? No one's emailed you yet? That we don't actually tell everything that's going on in our life, bro. But if he'll get around church long enough, he'll learn that you don't just, <laughs> my favorite, it was this small group. 
and, and there's a, a, a new guy, and I don't know how he heard that this, is, this happens, but we're just all hanging, and he's like, and, and everyone's just kind of hanging and talking. He's like, hey, I'll go first. And we're all like, go first, you know, like, okay. And he's like, I'm hooked on porn. And we're all like having like finger foods and like drinking coffee, and we're like, oh, uh, all right. Like, didn't really know if that was the format, but... And again, you look at this guy and you're like, man, what's wrong? You're like, maybe, maybe nothing's wrong with him. Maybe something's wrong with us. We've gotten so good at not limping so much. You know what I mean? Like, and, and, and we've all done it where we share the thing that's not really the thing in our life. But it's one of the things. Because I want to look like I'm honest. So I'm going to share the, the thing but not the thing in my life. And I wonder if we need to learn how to relate to our weaknesses. Relate to our weaknesses. Why? Why would God make Jacob limp after an encounter with him? Maybe it's a picture of how you and I are to relate to our Weaknesses. Here is the most powerful place you can find yourself in your entire human experience. The single most powerful place. It's a place I call the end of me. It's the place I call the end of me. Can I explain? Matthew chapter 5 records for us the most famous sermon in human history. I think that's not even debatable. It's the Sermon on the Mountaintop. It's the Sermon on the Mount. It's the Beatitudes and beyond. Do you know how chapter five of the book of Matthew ends? Matthew chapter five and verse 48. How many know it's not verse 49? God wouldn't put the 49ers in the Bible. Matthew five, you know what I mean? Matthew five, 48. <clears throat> This is, this is in, I love you guys so much. This is in, thank you for laughing like that. Like, it's so encouraging to be your pastor. Matthew 5, 48, Let's, look at this. This is Jesus now. This is the climactic conclusion to the most famous sermon of all time. He says, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Uh, Judah, I think you inferred a few minutes ago that the idea is more progress, as it's been said, over perfection. Does Jesus not mean what he's saying here? No, he does. Well, then isn't the standard perfection? It is. So we are to be perfect, yes. Now ask yourself, how do you feel when I say that? Uh, and maybe if you were honest, you'd say stuff like, a little overwhelmed, a little outmanned, a little outmatched, uh, incapable, um, not sufficient, don't measure up. Okay, we're getting somewhere. We are? Yeah. Look at, look, at, look, look at the Sermon on the Mount, and I think you'll end up running into one of the primary objectives of Jesus' entire preaching. And I truly believe that one of the primary objectives of all of Jesus' teaching is to bring man to the most powerful posture and position he can find himself in, and that is the end of me. 
the end of himself. I mean, you, Jesus, he touches every social challenge and issue of the day. Let, just, let's just, just, just for fun, Matthew chapter 5, we're just going to, it starts with, blessed are the poor, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the meek, blessed are those who hunger, thirst, blessed are the merciful. You, you start picking up the theme, blessed are the pure in heart, peacemakers, blessed are the persecuted, blessed are people when people revile you. If, if you're picking up the, the, the total sermon, Jesus is already saying those who are hurting, those who are broken, those who are small, those who are... Like, Jesus, these don't sound like powerful people. Blessed are you when you're reviled. People don't like you. And then he says, you're like salt. You're like a lamp. Those aren't big things. You're like, you're like a little lamp. Right? This isn't like a big, nice floor lamp that you can get now in modern culture. He's talking about a little wax candle. He's like, oh, you're like a little salt, little lamp. <laughs> like, great. And then he says, Changes everything I came to fulfill the law, verse 20. I, unless your righteousness exceeds the scribes and the Pharisees, you'll never, you'll never, you'll never, you'll never, you'll never enter the kingdom of God. Do you understand who he's talking to? He's talking to people who don't even have 1% of the religious pomp and performance of the Pharisees. I mean, this idea the Pharisees are the ultimate example. They know the first five books of the Bible by heart. They pray. They do all these noble jobs. I mean, yes, they're hypocrites, but their life exceeds everybody on that mountainside by a long shot and Jesus says unless your good deeds righteousness and lifestyle exceeds the Pharisees all of us go well I'm better than a Pharisee I'm not a hypocrite I'm not a hypocrite no 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 this was discouraging material and it gets worse he's like anger anger you know if, if you act out you're you're angry but I say but I say but I say Everyone who's angry with his brother will be liable of judgment. Who insults his brother will be liable of the counsel. Whoever says you fool will be liable of hellfire. Hellfire. The most encouraging sermon of all time. He says, you want to talk about lust? The law says if you actually do the deed, but I say if you look at a woman and think about the act, it's done. It gets gooder. Divorce. You get divorced for any other reason of sexual immorality. You commit adultery. You are condemned. Judge. Game over. You know how people were divorcing in these days? You know how much lust and incest? He gets worse. He says, oaths. You're making all these promises and you don't keep them? You're liable to be judged. People were making oaths. Retaliation. Retaliation. He says, people do something bad to you and you retaliate? You're done. You're out. How about love your enemies? You know how much prejudice and racism was in Jesus' day? And he says, you know those people who overlook you and marginalize you and say that you're less than human? He says, I want you to bless those people. I want you to love your enemies and pray for those who blog about you. (laughs) Okay? And then he says, be perfect. What is the point of this sermon? And we have misappropriated Matthew chapter 5 for a long, long time in church. And we have put people up under a standard they can never fulfill. We take this passage and say, that's the standard for divorce. That's the standard for lust. That's the standard for anger. That's the standard for retaliation. That's the standard for so, and it is. But have you picked up on the point? The point is everyone on that mountainside and everyone on this Rose Hill, see how I kind of connected them, (laughs) are supposed to go, Impossible! I can't do that! 
Really? Yeah. I mean, it's as if someone on the mountain should raise their hand and say, Jesus, can I, are you serious? And he would say, yes, sir. I, I'm very serious. Well, I can't. What do you mean? I, the, I, I there's no part of this sermon that I can fulfill. It is so out there. Your standards are so high. And then you cap it off with perfection. I can't. I'm literally just trying to get my kids to soccer practice on time. By the time we get there, we forget the fruit punch pouches, and they're screaming, and I lose my faith right there. Right? I mean, and Jesus is like, got this standard. Everybody on this mountainside had a normal life just like you, with pressures and challenges, and Jesus is like, here's the standard, here's the standard, here's the standard, and in case you missed it, it's perfection. What's the point? I can't do that. Right. What are you going to do? I have no option, really. I either give up or I find a hero. I find a savior because I'm so far from that. I can't even fulfill the law and you just upped it. I'm lost. I know. And right, and so what do I do? And I think Jesus would say, I know a guy who might be able to help. And so, so, so all of a sudden, even Matthew 5 is starting to tell us how we're supposed to relate to our weaknesses. We have been exhausting ourselves, covering them up, only to recognize and realize that this limp, I'm not talking about sin, Jesus forgives all sin, but the propensity to sin, the weakness to sin, right? God covers all your sins, take away all judgment, all your sins. So please, don't, I'm, not, I'm not saying God leaves sin in your life. No, 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 no but a weakness towards it, a desire for it, right? And that's why last week we were talking about Paul says, take this weakness. And God says, no, 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 no. My grace is enough. My grace is complete. And oh, Paul, now you know you need it every day. Yes, sir, every day. Oh, do not miss the powerful posture of desperation in your life. There are people in this room, you feel desperate and you feel that's weak. Oh, desperation is not weakness. Desperation is a posture of power. Oh, that, that person who wakes up every morning and says, oh, Jesus, I need you so much today. I can't take another step without your grace and your goodness. Oh, you are strong. For when you are weak, then you are strong. And the power of Christ rests upon you. Self-sufficiency is a lie. You keep telling yourself you don't limp. And the problem with us lying to each other is we start to believe our own lie. And we start to tell ourselves, I don't need Jesus as much as I did in the 90s. I don't need Jesus as much as I did when I was younger because I have matured. Oh, no. Maturity is the opposite direction with God. 
the more mature you become, the more desperate you become for him. It's a sure sign of maturity. The more you're growing in God, the more you wake up with an awesome awareness of the apparent weakness in your own life and you realize, oh God, I'm so weak, but you make me so strong by your grace. And boy, humility sets in on a very profound level because you understand you are weak, but that's what makes you strong. And I wonder if, I mean, you want to talk about somebody self-sufficient, Jacob. I mean, Jacob, Jacob just figured stuff out on his own. Jacob didn't even need God. Jacob just dressed up in costumes and clothes and figure out and get what he wanted from God without even accessing God or talking to God. He just, he was the captain of his own ship. He's the master of his own purpose and plan and vision. Jacob was just going to handle his stuff. And God says, you're going to wrestle with me. You're going to walk different after this. And you're going to walk with a limp. It's going to be so apparent. People are going to ask you, you okay? You all right? And Jacob couldn't say, no, no, I'm, yeah, I got a limp. But we don't know how to do that. I got a, I got a limp. And, and as a result, one of, one of the pitfalls of this is we have lost our distinction in the world. Because somewhere along the line, we were sold a lie that what will make us distinct and stand out from the world, those of us that identify with Jesus and follow Jesus and worship Jesus, we have been led to believe that our distinction will be our excellent morals. Nope. Nope. It's actually what has caused us to lose our saltiness, our lightness, and our distinction. Because what gives you distinction is when somebody in your world goes, wait, you are just like me, correct. And God forgave you? I mean, if you're a preacher, I can go to church at least. Yeah, and that's where the distinction is. The whole world will stand back with being confounded with the idea that you are just as broken, you are just as hurting, you go through dark seasons as much as I do, but God still found it in his heart to forgive you and love you and transform you and put you on a journey. Well, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Now that is worth noting. That I will look into. But somebody who's better than me, somebody who's just born morally excellent, you, I got no time for that. I can't relate to you. You act like you're the LeBron James of the church. I can't, you, you're a freak of nature. You're always kind, you're always, you're just born that way, nice to everybody, I appreciate that, but you're what we like to call an anomaly. For the rest of us, I, without Jesus, I, you wouldn't believe where I'd be, what I'd be doing, and who I'd be doing it with if it wasn't for Jesus, I, I limp just like you and you limp just like me. But where's the church where we let each other do that? Because see, we're, we're famous for your limping brother. Okay, well listen, if you will go through this discipleship class for the next six weeks, you won't limp anymore. And brother, if you still limp after that class, it's because you didn't apply yourself. And, 
And about now six months in, we're going to expect that that limp goes away. And if it doesn't, you, 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 you know, oh, I'm sorry, you're always welcome here. I, I'd never question that unless you're saying maybe, well, it's called fruits of repentance. And um, eventually, and we don't even mean this. We take scriptures out of context and throw them at people that don't even understand them. And we don't understand them. And it leads people to condemnation and shame. And we wonder why we haven't seen our friend around lately. Because when they first came in, we're like, look at him limp. Man, God's going to do a work. Boy, if you just got to church, you're allowed to limp. If you've been here any length of time, you better, you better handle that limp. And don't you dare come up on the stage with weaknesses. This is where the man of God stands. This is where the pre ministers, you know, we, we can't, we can't be, have any weaknesses. And so, so you better not do that. So you won't let me limp and I won't let you limp. And we perpetuate the problem. We perpetuate the problem. People, people in the church talk about leadership. Well, you know, I, you know, I, well, I, don't, I think Judah and Chelsea go dancing. So that's something for us to talk about and think about. And the silliest things start to move in on the true freedom, the gospel of grace, where we now relate to our weaknesses, as, as I said last week, and we say, God, thank you. I would rather boast in my weakness so that your power may be not, but we're not talking about boasting about sin. We're talking about boasting about my dependence and need for him, for without him, I'm lost and broken, bound and addicted. We need to be a church where we let each other limp. But I didn't say we're just going to let each other sin. We're going to help each other no matter what. But we let each other say, this is my weak spot. I don't do well in this area. I'm going to need you to call me sometimes. I'm going to need you to check in with me. And if you don't hear from me, and I'm here, or I'm there, or I'm talking like this, those are some of the signs that it's not going well in that area of my weakness. Would you help me? Would you not talk about me to other people in the church, but instead use that same energy to help me and be there with me? Could we be one of those churches? And I'm, I'm coming to a close, but I want to take you to one other scripture and then, and then I'll be done. And, and again, my whole passion and I think assignment today is to help you and I relate to our weaknesses the way Jesus has set us free to do so. Oh, before Jesus, I didn't have a limp. I didn't have a limp. But with, after Jesus, now I can say, oh yeah, I'm weak here. I'm going to need some help here. And we're supposed to rush to each other's side to say, I know what that's like. I'm, I'm gonna probably preach a whole message on this, but people all over the world, Christians pray, oh God, show me what you want me to do with your life. I have learned a little secret. Do you know who you're called to? I could tell you who you're called to. You're called to people who limp like you. I'm telling you, it works every time. Hey, did I see, is this? Yeah, that's not an easy area of my, me neither. 
maybe we should start a group, a real group, where we can talk about what's really going on. In a, who am I called to, God? You're called to people who limp just like you. <laughs> Man, we get together and say, come on, you can do this. I'm going to do it. We're going to do it. I mean, I got on the phone this morning at 7.15 a.m. with a friend, and we were just praying together. And I was praying together because I need strength to live out this day for Jesus. This isn't, we're not playing charades. We're trying to be a family up in here. And it says this about the family of God. It says there's a distinction when it comes to God's kids. There's a distinction. Romans 8.14 says, here's how you'll know who God's kids are. Here's how you'll know who are his sons and his daughters. There is a family, and this will be one of the significant distinctions on their life. They will be led. For all who are led by the Spirit of God or the Spirit of Jesus, those you shall know. Those are my kids. Those are my kids. Somewhere along the line, being led became something you attained to through spiritual maturity and information. I don't know where we took this word led and made it something like a badge we can wear. Well, brother, I'm just being led by the Spirit. Do you know? The word led infers the posture of a child. I was 16 years old at Bellevue Square, going to Bellevue Christian, then Issaquah later, and my mom would be like, hold my hand. I'd be like, mom, please, I don't want to hold your hand. Not at Bell Square. My friends are going to be here. The basketball team guys, they're going to see me. Hold my hand. And if you know my mom, you would hold her hand too. <laughs> so I'm walking around Bell Square, bro, 16 years old several inches taller than my mom, holding my mom's hand. And sure enough, Judah, hey, hey. And why am I embarrassed? Because holding your mom's hand is a posture of a child. It infers I'm being led. Because when I was a kid, mom would say, Judah, yes, mom. Dad would say, Judah, you know. That's how dads lead. <laughs> I'm justifying some of my actions right now, but that's not important. It's not important. It's not important. Let's keep your eye on the ball. Led is a childlike way of living. But somewhere along the line, led became, I'm just being, now brother, you need to be led by the Spirit. Pray about it and God will lead you. He's led me. And so, and so, and so we, we put people in this spiritual frenzy and they're like, I need to, I need to be led. I, I got to try harder to be led. Everybody who's led is really spiritual and really godly and really amazing and excellent and, and, and they dress well. And so I need to be, I need to be, oh God, oh God, lead me, lead me, lead me, lead me, lead me. Now I know how to be led. There ain't nothing better in the world for me than somebody who's driving and I'm not. It's my favorite thing. Because they literally, they just start driving and I don't even have to think about it. I love it. I'm so bad with GPS. I'm, I'm not a good driver. You need to fear me when I'm on the road, church. I'm easily distracted. But man, I just, Chelsea starts driving and she's great with directions. It's one of the reasons I married her. That's not true. But, and I just, I know how to be led. 
Do you know, do you know one of the meanings of this word led? It means carried. Now, where does that work in our belief about how God intervenes in our life? Nobody wants to talk about this. My concern, I'm just going to be honest, my concern is that Jesus' followers at the end of their career, at the end of their lives, seem to have the same story to tell as those who don't even know Jesus. Well, we built a business because what happened was I, um, I worked and, and then and, we, and so what happened and all in the end, thank you, God. When, when is somebody going to stand up and say, there's like this whole section of my journey I don't really recall. All I know is that I was so broken, I was so hurting, I don't know how I made any progress in that time. I don't know how I'm still here, other than the fact I think I was led here. I think I got led here. I don't recall I might have fallen asleep a few times on the trip, but I woke up and God had saved my marriage. I woke up and God had helped me build. I woke up and God, and I'm not minimizing hard work, but even Paul said, when I worked, it dawned on me. It wasn't me working. It was the grace of God working through me, giving me the passion to do the work. My life is defined by him. And the other night, and I'm done, I'm done, I promise I'm done. The other night, we were driving to the house, and, and it was later, and, and, and my little girl, my nine-year-old Grace, and, and, and she's like in the 30th percentile for size. She's a little peanut, and I love her that way. She's the cutest little thing, right? And, and then she's in the back of the car. The boys asked me to carry him inside. I'm like, absolutely not. You're humongous, right? But Gracie's falling asleep in the car. We're not to the house yet. She says, Daddy, when we get to the house, can you carry me? Can you carry me? And maybe she doesn't understand the question, but I do. It means, number one, are you capable? And I think we know the answer to that. Number two, you know, start doing Number, <laughs> stop, stop. We're supposed to be really serious right now. Number two is, are you willing? So if you're capable, are you willing? Oh, how many believers today have convinced themselves, I know God can carry me, but I don't think he's willing. Because I think the way this works is God stands over me like a drill sergeant and says, you better get up, you better wake up, you better pray, you better memorize, you better focus, you better speak it, you better declare it, you better see it, you better, and if you don't, I can't bless you. When in reality, the grace of God works much more like my little baby girl in the back of our car saying, Daddy, I'm tired. Can you carry me? And if you're a dad, you know what I'm talking about. I'm picking that little girl up out the back seat, and I'm walking down the hall, and I feel like Dwayne Johnson. I feel like The Rock all of a sudden, right? And I'm walking down the hallway, and I'm like, yeah, this is my girl. I'm her dad. I haven't done yoga in so long, but I still got the strength to get. And then I put her in bed, and I put the covers right up to her chin, I kiss her, I say, I love you, baby girl, so much. And I stand there for a minute and I revel in the privilege and the honor and the thrill that it is to be this little baby girl's dads. How much more your heavenly father takes joy when you are weak, then you are strong. For the power of Christ picks you up 
and carries you. I want to know where's the believer who will finally step up to the microphone and say, the truth is he carried me in the 80s. And then he carried me again in the late 90s. I was a wreck. I was a mess. What I had done, what I had been through. But I remember crying out, God, can you carry me? And his answer was, not only am I capable, but oh, son, I'm willing. And it gives me such pleasure to carry my children when they are weak and when they are broken. So so if you're here and you feel like you can't get up and you feel like I'm so tired, I'm so weak. What we have failed to remind each other in church is you are in a place of extraordinary power. And God is about to do for you what he's done for so many. And all who ask and receive, he will, he will carry you. He'll carry you. And I don't know when you'll finally discover that you're being carried. It's usually after that season. You get to the end and you're like, I don't know how I got here. But I didn't just get here. I got here in my right mind. I didn't just get here. I got here and I feel like I can keep going now. I got here and I am so in love with Jesus and I don't remember doing my daily verses. But I just... My passion and love for him is, I don't know, oh, you got carried. That's what happened to you. And, and, and I'm, I'm done. I need to stop. I have to stop. I have to stop. I just missed you. I have to stop. Those carried seasons become, I'm just going to be honest with you, they become like trophies in your soul where you go, I'm going to put it right here. And I'm going to remember and commemorate because, oh, God, when I was so weak, you picked me up, and I'll never forget who you are. And I just want you to know that year 2012, 2018, when I had lost a loved one, I had lost a friend, I didn't know. I remember late at night, you were there. I could feel you were carrying me. And years later, you'll look back and go, he's so good. And I know he'll do it. Again, oh, church, we got to leave moments like this thinking way more about Jesus than ourselves. That's where the power is. And so every time I limp, it leads me right back to that posture and place of saying, oh, God, I have never needed you more than I need you today. Will you pray with me, Jesus? We thank you so much for the powerful life you offer to us the life of dependence, which leads us to so much progress and so much power. I declare today there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no shame. There is no room for shame in this room. There is no space for shame in your life. Shame will do you no good. God didn't give you that shame. God didn't give you that spirit of fear, but a spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. There are people in this room, you have been so fearful that you're going to fall in your area of weakness. You have been playing it out in your mind. You've been telling yourself, I'm going to be just like my grandfather. I'm going to be just like my dad. It's just 
bound to happen. It's just going to happen. It's just what happens to my family. I'm telling you, you have been transformed. You've been put in a brand new family. You got a new nature. The blessing of God is on your life. And if you'll admit that weakness and welcome the dependence of Jesus in your life, you're going to find strength that you never thought you had. You're going to find strength to change the legacy of your family, to change the trajectory of your family's story. You are not going to be another statistic. You are not going to go the way of your entire family. God is doing something new and fresh in you. Woo! And what God started in you, he'll be faithful to complete it. God did not bring you out this far to take you back again. We have not come this far in the message of Jesus and the gospel of grace to go back to the law, to go back to self-sufficiency, to go back to depending on ourselves. No, all of our hope is in him. All of our rivers and streams are in him. Jesus, you are more than enough. Your grace is sufficient. Your grace is complete. Your grace is enough, and we declare it today boldly. We are who you say we are. We are who we are by the grace of God, and we thank you for that today. We thank you and declare it in Jesus' name. Jesus' name. If you're here, just with every eye closed, you're here and you say, Judah, I want to follow Jesus. I want to be a follower of Jesus. The Bible says, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. If you want the forgiveness that only Jesus offers and you want that everlasting life that only Jesus offers and you realize you cannot do for yourself what needs to be done but Jesus will do for you what you cannot do for yourself and you want to receive his forgiveness his love, his relationship, and spend eternity with him. On the count of three, I'm going to ask you to shoot up your hand all over the auditorium. I believe when you respond on the outside to what's happening on the inside, it just makes it more real to you. You know who you are. One, God loves you. Two, you'll never be the same. Three, if that's you, would you shoot your hand up all over the auditorium and say, I receive, I receive, I receive. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. God, you see these hands and you see these hearts and you see these souls. And once again, the greatest miracle of all you forgive, you cover, you make new, you transform, you save, and you deliver. We love you, Jesus, and we've never needed you more than we need you right now. We are so desperate for more of you. We can't wait to follow you for the rest of this day and the next. What an honor and what a privilege to be a part of your family. If you're physically able and willing, would you stand with us and let's join the band and let's sing out our thankfulness and gratitude to our God. Come on, church.